Hi, my name is Angie McCarty, and I serve as one of the pastors here at Church of the Resurrection. And I'm Robert Johnson, the location pastor at the Leewood location of Resurrection. Welcome to Resurrection Stories, a podcast about hope, purpose, transformation, and service. Each week, you'll hear from a guest connected to Church of the Resurrection who is living out their faith in inspiring ways. Our hope is to expose our congregation and the Kansas City area to some of the amazing people who make up our church in a way that inspires you to live out your faith and make a positive impact in our community. As you listen to today's conversation, I invite you to share this podcast with others. You can do that by going to core.org slash stories. Now, let's welcome our guest for today's episode. Our guest for today is Emily Stearwalt, who serves as a pastor with our older adults in Silverlinks ministry. I can't wait for you to hear Emily's story of transformation, compassion, attention, and love for the populations in our society and in our culture who are often forgotten. She's a pastor, mom, wife, mm. friend, and all around amazingly loving person. Let's get started. Emily, thank you so much for joining us here today. We're so grateful to have you. Really glad to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Absolutely. And we can't wait to, for folks to hear your story and learn more about you. So let's start here. What do you do at Resurrection? How long have you been here? And what do you enjoy most about your job? And what do you love most about Resurrection? What do you like more? I should not choose your words for you. Yeah. What do you like yeah, most absolutely. about Oh, I love stuff about Resurrection, for sure. <laughs> uh, so I've been here for about two, a little bit over two years. I kind of say two, right at two years, because when I started, I was seven months pregnant. So then I went on maternity leave when I had her. So it feels like I lost a few months there, but right at about two. It's a little bit over two years. And I am the director of our Silverlink ministry. So that is a ministry that makes sure that people that are frail and homebound get church, basically, is how I put it. So we go to several care facilities and homes throughout the metro. We're at about 25 different ones throughout the month, every month for worship services. And then we have a care list of about 150 people that we see one-on-one. And some of my volunteers see their people once a week. Some of them see them once a month. That just kind of depends on what the needs are and things like that. But... Definitely our bread and butter is our worship services. Okay. And um, for the month of 2024, I mean, for the year of 2024, we're doing fruits of the spirit in our care homes. So we're picking a different fruit and concentrating on that fruit of the spirit and oh. teaching them about that fruit. And so we started with peace and moving on to love for February. And it's a really, those, those worship services are our definite just joy. They are incredible. Wow. I always tell our volunteers, you are bringing the light of Christ into some of the darkest places that we can have, some of the loneliest places in our world. So, so grateful for our team. They're amazing. What amazing That's work. Wonderful. I've got to ask you about, yeah. before we get to the story, yeah. because I just got to say that that is just such great work. Yeah. Thank you for doing that work. And I want to say thank you to Resurrection. For putting so mm-hmm. uh, yep. so many so much uh, resource yeah. into this work, yeah, uh, it's just it's amazing, Angie, how resurrection is going to the ends of the earth, mm-hmm. caring for people. Yep. we're going to the inner city. Mm-hmm. We're providing dental care for kids who, whose parents right. can't afford yep. dental care. Yep. Mm-hmm. We're caring for our members on a daily basis, yep. like detailed care, yep. and then we're going into um, uh, senior facilities yep. to care. For man, it's just that's just 
It's beautiful. And to care for a group of people that are traditionally forgotten. Forgotten, yes. And I I have so many people on my care list that we don't have any family connection to because I have beautiful volunteers who see someone sits in their living room or dining room or wherever in a facility alone. And so they put they go on our care list because we're going to make sure that they get some care. So I think I said to Angie on an occasion that as, and of course, when you, as I move towards that age group, you become more <laughs> conscious of it. I mean, I, I didn't mm-hmm. think about this when I was third one. I was um, at West's age well, when I was thirty-five, yeah. but I think about it a lot now, mm-hmm. and it's it can be frightening, Definitely. you know, if, yeah. if you, especially if you don't live close to immediate family, yeah. your family spread mm-hmm. out, yeah. you you wonder what those years are going to be like. And then I saw this super sad, sad post on social media. On Thanksgiving Day, this person yes. who works in a facility yes. said, I just want y'all to see this. Mm-hmm. And she took a picture and posted it. And it was just a picture of a parking lot on Thanksgiving Day. Yep. And there was not a single car there in the parking lot. And she says, so there you go. Yep. And she says, so, you know, but I'm here and I'm going to care for as many people as I can. Yeah. And so, but but that's that's hopeful. It is. And, and it's such a beautiful lead into what I love about resurrection, too. Because I, we have been so intentional in Silver Link to care for the people that work at those facilities, too. Oh, so Madison, and Bra- Madison Brown and I, who run the ministry, like once a month, do caregive, caregiver gifts is what we call them. And we do like care gifts for people that are receptionists, people that are working in the kitchens, people that are CNAs, you know, just like kind of that forgotten population. And when I first started here, as I started to get connected to some of the care homes, they all said, every director of every care home I talked to said, you know, like hospitals got a lot of attention during the pandemic. And I know resurrection gave hospitals a lot of attention Mm -hmm. and those nurses and doctors absolutely needed it. I was actually doing chaplain work at St. Luke's during the pandemic. So I know they needed us, but several of them said, but we were never forgotten by resurrection either. Y'all dropped off Matthew's ministry cookies. You all made sure that even the people in nursing homes that are so isolated. And there are times when I feel like, oh, the pandemic's kind of over and people have moved on. We still deal with breakouts at almost all of our care facilities on the monthly. We have to cancel at least one worship service because there's still, because in that older vulnerable population, the pandemic's still a reality, you know? So I love that resurrection just makes sure that we see everyone that needs to be seen. That's one of my favorite parts about working here. And I love, yeah, it's incredible. And you said, you know, think resurrection for paying attention to this population. I've worked in a lot of different churches. Two full-time staff people for this population, what a gift. Mm -hmm. That's not the norm. That is not the norm. It's so incredible. So awesome. That's yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. And I love that you and Madison don't do this work alone, just the two of you, yes. that you were, I would guess, your primary energy yes. is in equipping those volunteers yes. to go out and do what they feel passionate Incredible about. Volunteers. And yeah. that's, yeah, just fantastic. Yeah. Okay, well, work. tell us how you got to this point. Yeah. Tell us your story. Yeah. So I grew up United Methodist. Um, my dad was Southern Baptist and my mom was United Church of Christ. <laughs> Met in the middle. Yep. They felt like they needed to meet in the middle. And the small town at that time had a Methodist church with kids ministry that was active and they knew they wanted to have kids at some point. So I always say that it's God's provenient grace in my life that they walked into a Methodist church because now here I am 35 years later, you know, living a United Methodist ordained life. Um, so it's incredible. It's just so, so amazing how God 
orchestrates things before you even realize that you need God mm. to do that. Yes. Um, yes. But I, yeah, so I grew up in the church, church nerd, like mm-hmm. president of the youth group, did all the things, <laughs> you know. And then I went to college and I decided I wasn't going to do that. I was going to run. I made it a whole semester uh, before I realized that I needed not to run. <laughs> so I tried, like I tried the party girl thing. I tried, I really did. I gave it a, I gave it a good go. Um, but I was really homesick when I came back to college in January because you get like a month off when you're a college student. Mm-hmm. And so I'd gotten settled back in at home and friends and all the things. And I got back to campus and I was so lonely and homesick and thought, oh my goodness. And so I found the Wesley Foundation. Uh, wow. There at Northwest Missouri wow. State University. And the first ever woman in ministry that I'd met was my campus minister there. Wow. And I, you know, I'd grown up in the Methodist church, but I'd always had uh, male pastors. Mm-hmm. And so seeing a woman uh, who was a co pastor with her husband, but she was the ordained elder. So she was the one that did communion every week for us. Um, and she just did incredible saying that communion liturgy, there was just, a moment in a midweek worship, you talk mm-hmm. about transformation points in your faith. Mm-hmm. There's just a moment in a midweek worship where she was talking about how we would all feast at the heavenly banquet together. You know the liturgy, mm-hmm. right? And it hit me like a ton of bricks. So like I could be the one that would say that. And I could be the one wow. that would welcome everyone to the table. Wow. It meant so much. She was formative. Very important mentor in my life. Yeah. So then I went to seminary, got ordained in the Missouri Annual Conference, and always uh, St. Paul. St. Paul. Yeah, old St. Paul down on Truman Road. Um, And uh, always thought that I wanted to specialize in pastoral care. Knew that that was my calling, but those wise mentors that were campus ministers told me, in Missouri, you really need to get ordained and you need to serve the local church first. That's really the path that's going to be, you know, celebrated. And so, okay, you know, I did that. And and I had some really great experiences in some local churches, and I had some really hard experiences in some local churches as a young single woman, mm-hmm. not really knowing what to do with me, um, and then got married to a man who was raised in Africa as a missionary kid. He grew up in Kenya, and so he's a little bit, I love him to death. He's a little weird. Um, he's just got some social quirks because he grew up in Africa, right? Mm-hmm. So time is not mm-hmm. exactly a thing for him, and it's just a different culture. And well, so, I'm like that, but I didn't grow up in I know, right? <laughs> Well, he did, and um, we have arguments often about what a calendar is and what a watch is and that kind of thing, but some of that didn't fly in local churches, right? Mm -hmm. And so we just, we had a really tumultuous start to our marriage because of just some really hard church situations, and so I stepped away to do chaplaincy and did that for a year and spent that entire year trying to run away from United Methodism, but (laughs) I have two dogs. One is named Briggs Wesley. The other one is named Jet Epworth. I wasn't going to run away from Unit. There was no way. God just kept pulling me back in. And and the largest way God kept pulling me back into United Methodism was the Silver Link position at Resurrection opening back up. And so I just knew that it it was going to be Methodism, but it was going to look different than what I thought it was, you know, it was a turning point. It was going to look different. It wasn't going to be at the big flagship church for the Missouri Annual Conference, you know. It was going to be at resurrection, in specialized ministry, in care ministry that I've always felt Mm -hmm. the most called to. I've always been an older soul. 
Um, and I've always connected to that population. My mom um, was the church secretary of that home church that I mentioned a while mm-hmm. ago. And when you're a church secretary at a small church, you do a little bit of everything, which included visiting the homebound members. Mm-hmm. And so we would take them once a month, cheer baskets is what we called them. And she took me since I was this, you know, and so I grew up around this population and I've always been comfortable. So to be able to be somewhere and it just looked a little bit different, but Another another turning point in my faith story is really connected to who God is and um, what we can call God. So I'm sure you both in seminary probably had the experience of kind of thinking about language we use for God, of right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what do we call God? And so, yeah, it's that first semester of seminary and everyone around me is freaking out about calling God Father. Oh, you can't call God Father. You know, that's patriarchy and and sexist, and we got to be careful with our language. And I did not have that same experience. I was like, well, I don't know. I don't don't really feel harmed by God the Father. Kind of indifferent about it. And so a professor kind of had me try on God as mother language, and I thought, that one hurts. No, thank you. That one's painful. And so today is actually the one-year anniversary of my mother dying. Wow. And it feels really healing to to talk to you about this in this moment because I had a really difficult relationship with my mother. She was someone that just struggled to know God's love yeah. in her own life. And unfortunately, that just made it hard to mother. And so I just, as I unpacked some of that language and figured it out, I thought, I really feel like God maybe, mm, am I, mm, do I have a mother? Do I have a father? Am I an orphan? Like, I really had this spiritual, hard, hard moment, years, trying to figure out who God is to me. If God the Father feels kind of distant, which which checks, because I love my dad. He's an amazing grandpa. He also went to work every day. Yeah. And it put food mm-hmm. on our table. Yeah. But that's what he did. Yeah. That was his, you know. And if God is mother, then God's controlling and not proud of me and all of these, you know, hard things. And so who is God? Am, am I an orphan? And so really, like, during my seminary, my deconstruction journey, my my calling is really to, to just feel that God, I am a child of God. That's what defines me. I am a child of God first. Wow. You know, I'm pastor, wow. I'm mom, I'm wow. wife, I'm all these different hats. Wow. But like God intervened and became my parent because wow. I felt orphaned yeah. as a small child. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not. God is my is my loving, loving parent wow. all the time. Wow. Oh, Emily, that vulnerability, just thank knowing you thank how, you thank that. you, yes, how many people need to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's not all Hallmark. No. <laughs> I tell every family I work with, there are crooked branches on every family tree. Normal is only a setting on the dishwasher. Mm-hmm. We all have pain in our family systems, and right? And even though you're a pastor, your relationship with God has yes. not been linear and perfect. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So it wasn't until I was doing chaplaincy work that I kind of put two and two together on why I was called to foster an adoption. So tell us about that. So I've always known, always known that I wanted to adopt, always known that I wanted to be a mom in that way. Um, And when I met Randall, we both actually separately were doing the training and filling out paperwork to be foster parents as single people. 
Um, and so we just, it was this moment on our first date where we're like, oh, I mean, when I talk about love at first sight, it's legit. I mean, it happens. God is so good. Um, so, and that was a moment on our first date where we're like, wait a minute, you want to be a foster dad? You want to be a foster mom? You know, like, what if we could do this together? Which sounds crazy, but <laughs> we did. We did it. Um, so just always knew that I was going to be a mom. And in that way that I wanted to adopt. And what I put together later, that's because I know what it feels like to be an orphan. That's because, it, you know, I know what it feels like to need that parent in a way that you didn't get given it. So, yeah, we got married in 2015 and in about 2018 started the training looking into um, foster parenting, adopting. Uh, we decided to go the foster parenting route because we just weren't sure ages, stages. We just weren't sure where we were called. Um, and uh, our first placement was... <laughs> A newborn, a 19-month-old, and a three-year-old. Wow. And it all was at the same time? All at the same time. time. Oh. <laughs> well, we were, that's something. That was our first parenting journey. Yeah. Unreal. Um, how'd Thank that go? <laughs> it was the dumbest thing we have ever done. <laughs> but we survived it, and the kids thrived, and they actually reunified with healthy parents oh, who wow. had figured out how to get clean. Wow. And keep traps. Wow. So, incredible. Wow. I Yeah, absolutely incredible. A lot of people assume that we foster adopted went that route because of fertility issues. And really, like, we, from the get-go, we thought, just foster adopt. We're not sure. Another reason Randall really wanted to do that is because he has three older sisters, and they all wanted to adopt, and they had to, and then they had their oops. And they didn't make room for the adoption. So he's like, I don't want us to do that, right? I don't oh, want us well, to do that. I want us to, like, get ahead of the game. So, but in the in the same time as filling out the paperwork and getting the training and having that first placement, we did put two and two together that we were having some infertility issues. So it's really not because of infertility, but it was kind of concurrently, you know, mm -hmm. running. So that brings us to June 2020 when that first set went home. And um, we relocated to Kansas City for me to be um, at St. Luke's doing some chaplaincy work. And um, we got a call about a newborn little girl. And Randall said, I'm, our hearts were broken. We'd had this other set of siblings for 16 months. We'd had the newborn for his entire life, just broken. Um, and Randall said, I don't know. I mean, she'll probably only be here for a couple of weeks. I could use the baby cuddles. And I said, wow. okay, let's go pick her up. Wow. So we went to Truman Med, picked her up, brought her home. She had three different names listed on her paperwork. Like the nurses thought her name was one thing. It's just such a broken system. Yeah. It's just, it, yeah. it's the reality of the situation. So um, we figured out her name in the first like 48 hours we had her and um, started to call her Ladybug because she came home in a Ladybug onesie. And... Um, we adopted her in December of 2021. So, and then eight days later, after we adopted her, our <laughs> birth child, who we miraculously got pregnant with, was born. So, wow. oh, yes. Wow. We adopted oh, on December 21st, 2021, and had our baby on December 29th, 2021. Wow. So they're 17 months apart, which I never, mm -hmm. never wanted. Mm -hmm. <laughs> They were not supposed to be that close. God and I have had some arguments about that uh -huh. from time to time. But they are also becoming like one another's best little friends. Oh. It is the most incredible thing to see them. The other day during the Chiefs game, they entertained each other for a whole quarter. 
a whole quarter of the wow. football game I got to watch because they were entertaining each other. It was incredible. And so, how old are they right so now? So they're three and a half and two now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they are daily reminders to us of God makes a way. God makes a way every single time. And the most incredible part of the story, I think, is that Elliot, our oldest, who we adopted, her little brother was born into the system when I was about seven months pregnant. Mm -hmm. And they called us, asked us to take him, and we had to say no. We prayed about it for 24 hours, and we finally decided to say no. I told Randall, I said, she's going to hate us when she's 18 for saying no. And he said, she's going to hate us when she's 18 for all kinds of different (laughs) reasons. reasons. So, you know, a no to this little boy is a yes to our, you know, our two. And so we said no, and he ended up being placed with a woman who is a single mom by choice. She's amazing. They're in our life every day. We are one big happy family. In fact, I baptized Jensen a year ago here at the church. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It's incredible. God makes a way every time. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I think you are living a truly heroic life. I think think people who care for the the elderly Mm -hmm. and for children, especially children in the adoptive foster system, are just the heroes of our society. People who... Like if if no one helps them, yeah. they can't yeah. live a day, a single day. Yeah. Somebody has to help them. Yeah. And just it's just amazing. So we think, you know, media focuses so much on all the negative energy in our world today, yeah. in our country. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is that there are people who are invisible, who are doing a great mm-hmm. heroic work of loving people who would who couldn't make it unless somebody comes to their rescue. I joke that I live kind of the same thing at, at work and at life, at home, right? Because it's like with memory issues with the older population, it's like help them remember where they are, talk them through it. Right. You do the same thing with toddlers. Yes. So <laughs> my, yes. my work and home life are kind of right. similar, but it's incredible. Yeah. It's just such a gift. Yeah. Wow. I love that you recognize this call in your life. Yeah. And even when you resisted it, God made a way, yeah. and that that has been your story, yeah. the story of your family, the story of your ministry. Yeah, I'm so grateful that you were able to be here today Thank and to share that me. with us. Thank you. Yes, we look forward to all of the ways that you're going to continue to make a difference in the lives of people. Thank what a you. gift. Thank you. And I've got to say this. The theme for this season has been love. We didn't intend that. It we has. We did not intend that. That's our focus uh, so, word for February yeah, for Silver Lake, it's, too. It's yeah. Isaac Kate said that his turning point it. was that he was in, in service and the pastor said, God loves you. Yeah. And that it was like he was the only person in the room. Yep. And the mm-hmm. love of God gripped him that day. Yeah. Then Becca Anderson, uh, who's in this season, uh-huh. t- tells a story about discovering the love of God in her grandmother oh. and about how she's her journey of life is that she's coming into maturity as a person of faith mm-hmm. and that for her that feels like I've turned into my grandmother. Oh. Yeah, it's beautiful. And now, now your story. And now your love story. Yeah. It's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Thank, you, thank you, Emily. Thank you all. <laughs> thank you all. And thank you for watching this podcast today. We're grateful for your presence here and hope that this has made an inspirational difference in your life. We hope that you will share this podcast with others, that you will give them the web address, uh, core.org slash stories, so that this can make a difference in other people's lives too. We pray that the love of God, that that love will continue to meet you in surprising places Mm -hmm. as you go about 
your days.